Smoky Hangover, Ricky LeBlue, Virginia Tech is one and now. You know, you have to be careful saying, you know, that you want to go one and oh, because that was a huge thing during the Fuente era. Just like you can't say <laughs> you can't say grit anymore. Like grit is no longer a good thing. Uh but yeah, definitely, definitely pleased to go one and oh. I think we all expected them to go one and oh. Um, there's a lot to unpack, as I like to say on Twitter. Yeah. That some people dislike. Let's like. unpack this. Shout out yeah, Brian. So shout out Brian Siegla from Boundary Corner, who always now just it's a troll tweet in yeah. jest. Every time you tweet something that's like even a little bit controversial, he's one of the first people to reply, Hey, let's unpack this. Yeah. Because it's now become a uh it's now become a bit of a meme. Yes. So as the kids say, let's unpack this. Let's do it. Ricky, who are we presented by, by the way? Probably the most popular small business in Blacksburg, and that would be Main Street Pharmacy. They're popular for a reason. They treat you like a, a name, not a number. They support Virginia Tech Athletics, and if you're in the Blacksburg area and you're looking for a place to get your pharmacy needs, that's probably the place you want to go, Main Street Farm. You nailed it. Jeremy will approve of that one, I think. I hope so. I think he'll approve I, I, that it's, one. It's not quite as structured as Andrews, who was unfortunately not with us this evening. Um, but I think it's just as uh, – I think it gets the job done. It's just as effective. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, go visit Jeremy over at Main Street Farm. Virginia Tech 36, Old Dominion 17. Ricky, uh, we were texting throughout this game um, with Andrew, obviously, too, in our group chat. And we had a lot of different takes on this game. But I think the one that resonated with me that kind of stood out was that this game maybe didn't necessarily follow like the structure we necessarily thought in terms of like how we got to the 36, 17, 19 point cover. Uh, But in totality, a lot of good, some not so good. And this is pretty much an unfinished product, kind of like we thought. Yeah, so let's do do we want to start with the Grant Wells thoughts and and how kind of our our um, opinion changed as the game went on? Yeah, I think we should probably start there. Um, so because I had actually I got multiple people in my mentions on sunday being like did you even watch the game bro when i said that grant wells hadn't shown much improvement at all and mind you that was like midway through the second quarter yeah 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 Yeah. and i'm like look seven tweets later (laughs) it's not that hard uh because things definitely did change yeah and i put a tweet out right around the time you tweeted that thing about grant wells pretty much in total agreement with you uh, I said not to overreact here, but would like to see drones get a couple drives. If he can't complete a pass either, the Hokies are going to go like three and nine. So then, Ricky, you texted me and Andrew a short time later and said, so four and eight. <laughs> and yeah. then and then we all just like continued texting. Right. And not to say we didn't acknowledge that text, but like it was kind of in the back of our mind. And we just kind of tabled it for a bit. Right. And we just kept kind of texting about other stuff throughout the game. And then Grant Wells got better. The Virginia Tech offense got better and put some distance between themselves and Old Dominion, played a much better second half. Really from like, I'd say like the 10-minute mark of the second quarter, the offense started looking a lot better. And there was a text that you sent us in, I think it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter, where you said, so five and seven? (laughs) And so throughout the game, we were just slowly, like incrementally, getting back to what our season prediction was for this team, which was five and seven, all three of us on this podcast predicted predicted for Virginia tech to go five and seven, which kind of goes back to the original point, this game and and the version of Virginia tech we saw, it's kind of what we expected in the end. Yeah. So let's start with Wells. Uh, My overall takeaway from this is that he's very erratic. Yeah. Wells has, some pretty good arm talent. He's got some mobility. 
both of which he has enough of to be really, really dangerous. And we saw that in the second half of this game. Um, he also is wild with his throws, which mm-hmm. is something that I don't think we saw a ton of last year. So hopefully it was just kind of an aberration. But he looked very streaky in this game. Um, he, I think he obviously benefited from having some better athletes on the outside, and we'll get to that in a moment. Because I think that ultimately is the biggest difference from this team or this offense to last year's offense. But I, w- I was pretty impressed with Grant Wells' the second half. I thought he was much better in moving the football down the field. He made some good decisions. He was on point with his throws, hit guys when he needed to hit them. The timing was there. Overall, a, a pretty impressive performance. I don't think Grant Wells had three touchdowns in a single game at all last year. So you certainly have to be encouraged by that. Um, no sacks recorded by Old Dominion, which is encouraging, but I don't think that tells the full story of the offensive line, which we'll get to in a moment. I do think it is important and People are probably going to hate on me for, you know, raining on the parade. We do have to make sure we talk about this game in the frame of reference that this is Old Dominion. This is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the Sun Belt this year. The roster is not very good. They don't have a lot of talent. Um, With that said, it's hard to not feel encouraged about a quarterback completing as many throws as he did. Um, bouncing back from the extremely confusing and, in my opinion, unreasonable quarterback rotation in the first quarter. Yep. Um, I think Wells handled himself pretty well on, on Saturday. Virginia Tech scored 36 points in this game. It's the first time that Virginia Tech has eclipsed the 30-point mark since they beat Duke 48-17 to on November 13th, 2021. The reason why I bring that up is that was Justin Fuente's final game in Blacksburg. So this is the first time in the Justin Fuente era that Virginia Tech has scored 30 points. First time in the Brent Pry era. Oh, sorry. I Yeah, sorry. That's what yes. I meant. Yes. The first time under this coaching staff yes. that, that Virginia Tech has eclipsed 30-point mark, which is equally frustrating and somewhat of a relief, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's the first time in 15 games, if yeah. we're doing the math. Uh, there were three that Fuente did not coach, uh, two regular season games, and then the bowl game at the end of 2021. Brent Pry, of course, coached 11 games, not 12 last season. And the 15th game here... Uh, since Justin Fuente was officially let go is when Virginia Tech eclipses the 30-point game, uh, uh, 30-point mark again. So it's been a while. Uh, it's been nearly two calendar years since Virginia Tech has gone over 30 points in a, in a game, and it's really just an emphasis on how poor the offense was last year. The Grant Wells point um, about him being erratic, I think the first quarter he was a bit amped up. He was missing a lot of throws high over the middle of the field, which is generally where you get yourself into some trouble. Yeah, uh, There were some drops. Uh, the Jalen Lane one stood out to me on the first yep. drive of the game. Would have been a first down. Wells put that right on the money. Yep. Uh, he threw two different passes to Daquan Wright that were dropped. One was a bit behind him, so I put that more on Wells and Wright. The other one was just a drop by Wright. So there were a couple drops in this game um, by the receiving core that I just want to mention, um, especially that Jalen Lane one, because it came on the first possession and it was actually a really good throw by Wells on third down um, that could have kept a drive alive. But overall in the first quarter, it seemed like Wells was a bit uncomfortable in the pocket. Not to say that Old Dominion's pass rush was a reason why. It just seemed like Wells was a bit amped up, right? Uh, He settled in quite a bit in the second quarter. Uh, especially the latter portions of the second quarter. Obviously, that long pass down the sideline to Jalen Lane uh, was a big play. That's a a play, by the way, that doesn't get made last year, right down that left sideline going into the north end zone. That's not a play that gets made last year by Virginia Tech's wide receiving core. It was a good throw by Wells, but it was also like one of those 50-50 balls that a receiver has to go up and make a catch on. And Lane did that, and we didn't see that a lot last year. Uh, Wells made a really good throw in the back right corner of the end zone to Allie Jennings that 
was, again, a very good throw. Not sure that catch gets made last year. So there was a lot of that going on in this game with Virginia Tech transfer wide receivers. Um, and it's really encouraging, right? Uh, Felton had only one catch on the night, but it was a long grab, right? It was it was a really impactful play in the game uh, to keep a Virginia Tech drive alive and move Virginia Tech deep into Old Dominion territory. So Dequan Felton kind of made his mark, even with only one reception in this football game. There were some signs here of the Virginia Tech passing game that I'm extremely encouraged about. I think the one thing I will say, and it's one thing we've been harping on on this podcast uh, throughout, you know, throughout the preseason, is that we kind of know what we've got with Grant Wells, I think, right? The floor we knew was probably going to be elevated because the talent level just being elevated around him, right? From the lane to Felton to Jennings, obviously, Bayshell Tootin in the backfield. We knew the offense was getting a significant skill position upgrade this year in comparison to last. So we knew the floor was probably going to be elevated for whoever ended up taking more snaps at quarterback. But the one thing I'll say too, and we've been harping on this, is that Wells has a very defined ceiling. Like, I think we may have already seen it when he was at Marshall. Yeah. And he's going to be a guy who's going to make a lot of really good throws. He's also going to make some decisions that make you want to scream, throw your remote through the television. If you're in the stands, make you want to just throw your beer, like that sort of stuff, right? Like really dumb decisions. To Wells' credit in this game, I don't think he made a lot of dumb decisions with the football. I just think he was a bit inaccurate. It This wasn't as much of a situation, in my opinion, because we've seen last year where Wells gets into spots where we're like, man, he really should not have thrown that ball there. There wasn't a lot of that going on on Saturday night where I was like, wow, Wells definitely just should, just, just flat out should not have thrown that football. It was more of, okay, that was probably the right breed. That was probably the right guy to throw it to. It was just inaccurate. End result is still not very good, but it was encouraging that he didn't at least put the ball into harm's way a ton when he was struggling in kind of that, that first quarter and a half. All that to say, Wells had three passing touchdowns. He didn't turn the ball over. He had a rushing touchdown. He operated the offense, I think, pretty well once he got settled in. But he's obviously going to have to have a faster start in some of these games coming up um, against better competition. But overall, it was a roller coaster ride for Grant Wells. And I think Virginia Tech fans, you know, they've seen enough of Grant Wells at this point to know, you know, we're not really going to get any other way. So you take the good with the bad. And I think overall it was a, a pretty solid debut for Wells by the time it was all said and done. Completely unrelated. Uh, Cade Klubnik was just intercepted and yep. Duke is almost certainly going to upset Clemson, which we'll have to discuss on the preview pod for the Purdue game. Cause I think that's um, a pretty big, uh, pretty big change of events that none of us saw coming. So I want to talk about the receivers. Yeah. It is amazing how much of a difference having really good athletes on the perimeter makes in an offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech hasn't had receivers like this since, from an athleticism standpoint, since Bucky, Cam, and Isaiah, right? Yeah, and I, I don't want to put these three guys on that level because I don't think they're on that level. Pure athleticism. But if we're going, if, if we're if we're going from from that point on, then yes. Um, Virginia Tech's leading receivers in this game were the three transfers: Jennings, Lane, Felton. The three of them combined for about 170 some yards and three touchdowns. Which is a pretty good, good, pretty good day at the office. Uh, Ollie Jennings really picked it up in the second half. He was kind of quiet early on. Jalen Lane sold the show. Yep. In the first half. Um, but those three, if they can stay healthy, I think it's going to change the dynamic completely of this offense. I don't know that the offensive line is going to hold up. They did not do well in the run game. Virginia Tech was pretty poor on the ground in this one yeah but it's a concern we'll get into that more here in yeah, a second but, it's a concern when, yeah but when you have got i mean jennings making the touchdown catch in the corner was was huge 
Felton's big game was kind of a busted tackle where Felton didn't really even have to do all that much to yep. to break yep. the tackle. But um, the the three of the I mean Jalen Lane the his ability to make the to get open over the middle out of the slot I think is is going to be extremely valuable this uh, season. But I don't think it can be underscored how important those three transfers are into getting this offense elevated towards being kind of an average offense. None of us are expecting this offense to be good. We'd love it for it to be good, but we kind of understand that that's just not where Virginia Tech's at right now. But the three of these guys may turn Virginia Tech into kind of a pass-happy offense. And maybe I'm just daydreaming, but it felt like when Virginia Tech started to get away from some of the two tight end sets that they were running in the first half and they opened it up a little bit. I saw a couple four receiver sets, which I was kind of intrigued by. Uh, if they can get to more of those three receiver, four receiver sets, yep. get these guys options, even Steven Gosnell, who got a ton of snaps early on, um, that's where the strength of this offense is and they need to utilize that the best they can. Definitely. I, I will say like, if Virginia Tech get any semblance of a run game going with this receiving core, I mean, the, obviously Grant Wells being able to spread the ball out to several different guys, you could see the, you could just see the level of comfort he had, you know, as the game went along where he was like, oh, I don't really just need to target one guy all the time. Like last year, it was basically Caleb Smith or bust um, yeah. really the, the fail safe option outside of Caleb Smith was Daquan Wright as the season went along. You know what I mean? And it just felt like there was just a lot more firepower on the Virginia tech offense than we saw a year ago. Brent Pry alluded to it. Obviously all throughout camp, he was just said, you know, it's just night and day what they're able to do, what Grant Wells is able to do. He said after the game, on ACC network that the Grant Wells that everybody saw on Saturday night is a Grant Wells. they see in practice. I just think that Virginia tech from a passing attack standpoint, you know, assuming that everybody stays healthy, of course, think has an opportunity to be pretty decent. And that would be a significant improvement from whatever the hell that was last year that we watched. And Let's get into, I, I want to get into the offensive line now because this ties into kind of what I'm going to say next year. I thought the offensive line and pass protection overall was pretty good. Bashel Tootin, I will say. So we'll talk about the inside runs, right, with the offensive line and how, you know, the interior of the offensive line especially had trouble just establishing any sort of push all night long. Bashel Tootin had 19 carries for 55 yards, but where he was mo most impactful was in pass protection. He had a couple of huge moments in pass protection where Old Dominion sent an extra guy uh, on the blitz, right, to pressure Wells, and Tootin picked it up. And when you look at Tootin, you look at Malachi Thomas, those are uh, similar type running backs, right? But I think what you see out of Tootin is you see a little bit more experience. You see a guy who's willing to put his nose in there in pass protection. Not that Malachi Thomas has been afraid to do that, right? We saw it as a freshman when he was not the uh, not the body type he is now, and he was putting yeah. his nose in there when he was getting um, more snaps there in the Virginia Tech offense a couple seasons back. We know that Thomas will stick his nose in there in pass protection too, but I was just really impressed by what Bashel Tootin did in pass protection. I just wanted to highlight that in this game. For sure, and... If he can do that, it'll certainly keep him on the field uh, as RB1. He's currently RB1, and I don't think Malachi Thomas showed enough in this game uh, to become RB2, but it, a lot of it goes back to this offensive line's got to find a way to generate push up front. They struggled on fourth down trying to do it. The middle run game was not very good for basically the entire night. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on Grant Wells and those receivers to carry the offense. Because as athletic as Basial Tootin might be, as athletic as Malachi Thomas might be, those guys can't block. 
And if the lanes aren't there, there's nowhere for them to run, obviously. Yep. So um, kind of going to to rushing, but not necessarily with the running backs. I touched on it briefly, but the Kyron drones rotation early on yeah. seemed, seemed a bit disjointed. It seemed forced, right? Yeah. Um, I'm good on, on Kyron for next week. Like, I don't need to see him unless Grant Wells gets hurt. Like, can we just put him on the sideline and not put him in the game? I tweeted this early on. I'm pretty anti two quarterback systems. Yeah. I just don't think, and and really a lot of it goes into like how they're used. I just don't think a lot of coaches use them effectively. I, I mean, the best example of it being used effectively is what Urban Meyer did with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, like in the mid 2000s, which, you know, it seems preposterous that that's like the last really good two quarterback system I can think of, but that it's one worked funny perfection. Because a bunch of people can say, oh, well, that they point to that, oh, it, that's proof it can work. Well, yeah, but like most of the time when you're running the two quarterback system, it means that you do not have a quarterback that you trust to run the entire offense. And Virginia Tech fans just naturally have the, uh, I mean, we all watched the whole Glennon Tyrod thing. I think we're just naturally a little bit more scarred, right? By two Maybe, quarterback yeah. systems, even just to begin with. But I just, the the insertion of drones early in the game, it it's almost like Brent Fry had to check the box because he had been telling everybody all offseason that we're going to see both quarterbacks. It's almost like, hey, Tyler Bowen, like, let's make sure. By the way, Tyler Bowen's play calling in this game, I don't know if he's catching hell for it. I thought it was much improved. And maybe it's just because the, the the players are better. But uh, I, I saw some people complaining that, you know, maybe he's stuck with the run for too long. What? I mean, we're nitpicking, aren't we? Like, you got to try to run the ball a little bit. My my biggest issue with Bowen was the drive where they got stopped inside the five. Me too. They they lost complete creativity on, on that drive as soon as they got inside um, inside the ten. Right. Well, so that and, that's that's what made me think of this because that was the drone series early in the yeah. game, right? Yeah. That's what made me think of that. So um, continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. But I it looked like that there was a bit more creativity in the second half and things are obviously going to look better when they're executed. And we saw a pretty high level of execution in the second half, but that drive where, where drones came in and they got stopped on fourth down was pretty maddening. Um, kind of related to that. I am and I know you're one of these people, so we may have a, a brief dis brief disagreement on this. I am so tired of the going forward on fourth down in the first oh. half. Take the damn field goal, man. Like, take your three points, take your medicine, and move on. I am not uh I am not a proponent of going forward every time. I was okay with trying to score a touchdown on the opening drive i was okay with that uh i was not okay later in the game i <laughs> i mean i said on twitter i was like they should just go for this here i forget what the situation was but virginia tech was up a few scores at this point i was like you got to get a yard here and tech didn't get it and my issue with that was less about going for it more about the play call like coming out of a timeout Grant Wells just trying to like somersault over the front of the offensive line, like the middle of the offensive line is just not the call there. I mean, the yeah. Old Dominion had been stacking the box all night, right? And it was clear what Old Dominion's game plan was. Old Dominion's game plan was, okay, let's stop the run and make Grant Wells throw. Because, yep. yes, Virginia Tech has all these transfer wide receivers and they got all this influx of skill position talent. Old Dominion, like Ricky Ronnie's not stupid. He's going into this game saying, okay, like, we know Allie Jennings obviously very well, but they got these other guys who, you know, could make an impact. But we also saw what Grant Wells was a year ago. Let's make him beat us because he's prone to turning the ball over. To Wells' credit, he didn't turn the ball over. And Old Dominion's 
entire MO was we're going to just sell out on the run. And Virginia Tech really had a hard time running the football in this game. Old Dominion was stacking the box. I think if there was one complaint of Tyler Bowen in this game, I agree with the opening drive play calling. The other just kind of nitpick is that I would have liked to have seen some more throws outside the numbers earlier than like mid-second quarter. To his credit, he adjusted and realized that like, oh, Jalen Lane and Allie Jennings and Felton on an island, Old Dominion's probably not going to be able to keep up with that for the rest of the game. So let's just, <laughs> let's let Grant Wells cook a little bit with these receivers. And I did appreciate that they went to more of those, you know, the, the deep throws in one-on-one coverage later in the game, just to, you know, show these, you know, allow these receivers to show what they can do. So I think Virginia Tech, you know, with the offensive line, I worry about the, I worry about the struggles to run the football behind the offensive line. I do. I'm interested to see moving forward, especially against Purdue, who, by the way, Purdue did lose to Fresno over the weekend, and Purdue gave up a ton of passing yards. So I think Virginia Tech's going to throw the ball quite a bit coming up here on Saturday at Lane Stadium. But I'm interested to see how Virginia Tech moves the football on the ground Uh for the foreseeable future, because I do think now that the film's out, it's going to be pretty clear that, okay, Virginia Tech's got some receivers here. Maybe we shouldn't sell out so hard on the run. Maybe we should could, should commit more guys to Allie Jennings, Jalen Lane, Felton in the passing game. Does that open up some more lanes for Virginia Tech's running backs? Or is this really like, okay, this offensive line is just going to really suck run blocking this year. You know, uh, the early data point is that Virginia Tech can't run the ball very well, Right. Let's see what that looks like moving forward now uh, with, you know, the film out, opposing team game plans, that sort of thing. But I was discouraged by the running game. And not for a lack of effort, lack of trying. I was just discouraged by it. Stock is up on the passing game, but I think you and I both know it's only a matter of time, maybe before the DM breaks and there's an interception or two by Grant Wells that we're like, ah, shit, wish he didn't throw that one. Uh, This is going to be very up and down, but I think my overall takeaway is I'm encouraged by what I saw out of the offense. Again, 36 points on the board. It's something they had to do against Old Dominion. We were talking about towards the end of the the preview pod, we were talking about, okay, what would qualify as kind of a success in this game, right? What would be a, a success? And we mentioned under 200 yards of offense for Old Dominion, which obviously they they ran the ball very well. So um, the, the passing, the passing defense held up, but the rushing defense did not. We'll get to that in a minute. But we also said, and Ricky, I think you mentioned this, what, 35 to 40 points. Yeah. And Virginia Tech got to 36 and left some out there, you know, let, certainly left at least a couple field goals out there. But, you know, if you want to get like a little bit more overly optimistic, they, they left a touchdown drive out there for sure early in the game, um, that would have definitely pushed this into the low forties. So Coming off of what we saw a year ago, this was pretty encouraging by the Virginia Tech offense, I thought. Yeah, they could have gotten to 42 even if they just kicked the two field goals there. Right. Inside the inside the 15. Um, I don't think there's anything else on offense. Um, you did touch on Virginia Tech not holding Old Dominion under 200 yards. So let's let's hit on that. Virginia, if if you just look at like the box score, Virginia Tech's defense actually had a pretty productive day. Yeah, they had what five sack was it five sacks, a uh, boatload of TFLs. Yeah, nine nine tackles for loss. Two, uh, excuse me, three forced fumbles in this game. Uh, Dorian Strong gets an interception. Uh, but then you look at the fact that ODU averaged almost five yards a carry and grant wilson had 81 yards on the ground who's not a mobile quarterback Mm -mm. um wicks had a pretty good day rushing as well he averaged over five yards carry devin roche had a good game lots of people had success running the football against virginia tech's defense I know that you you had said after the game that these issues are correctable and that they're mostly discipline, gap-related, things like that. And I tend to agree with you. However, 
just because things are correctable doesn't mean they get correct. Yeah, right. Yeah, agree with that. Virginia Tech's going to have to get some big work done over the next couple weeks before they hit the ACC part of their schedule because they had some serious issues defending the run against a team that's not very good. Yeah, too many explosive plays for Old Dominion in the running game is my takeaway here. And that's something that is going to be really important to monitor because it was a lot of the run fit issues were a lot of miscommunication in the linebacking core, especially, which again, Virginia Tech. Not all that surprising. Not all that surprising. Brand new Mike linebacker. Not all that surprising. And we mentioned that we were a bit concerned about that coming into the year, you know, how that would look. And that has nothing to do with Jaden Keller as a player. We're all pretty high on Jaden Keller. It's just anytime you have a new guy in the middle of the defense and you lose a five-year starter in Dax Hollifield, there's going to be some growing pains there. A lot of miscommunication, a lot of run-fit issues. My bigger takeaway is that I think this Virginia Tech defense has a decently high ceiling. Secondary, we knew coming into the year was going to be uh, an area where we felt pretty good about the Hokies, right? That was a strength of defense. Secondary looked pretty good in this game. Pass rush looked pretty good in this game. Five sacks. We mentioned the nine tackles for loss. I was going back reviewing game logs for last season. I was struggling to find a game where there were five or more sacks and five or more tackles for loss. If somebody can locate that, please let me know. But I didn't see one. So that's encouraging to get that out of the way, game one. Ricky, I think my bigger item to watch, right, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the run fits, and, you know, it is correctable, and whether or not it will be corrected. My bigger, I don't want to call it an issue, because it wasn't an issue in game one, but my bigger concern coming into the year was the pass rush. and. Virginia Tech had five sacks in this game. That's fantastic. Antoine Powell Ryland played outstanding football. We were talking about the transfers on the offensive side of the ball. Antoine Powell Ryland was that dude on defense that we were hoping for. Yes, he was. On on the edge. If Virginia Tech can get after the passer against better offensive lines, I think there is a ton of upside with this defense. Our big question was, will Virginia Tech get after the passer? Our big question coming to year was was not, will Virginia Tech be able to hold up in the running game? That was not as big of a concern. Moving forward, my thing is, okay, what we saw in game one with the pass rush, is that something that's repeatable? That's the bigger indicator to me whether or not Virginia Tech is going to have a really, really good year defensively or if they're just going to be like a decent unit with you know some really good moments some bad moments kind of like what we saw in this opener against ODU I think the ceiling is really high if the pass rush ends up being I don't expect five sacks every game but if the pass rush is going to be as strong as it looked against Old Dominion throughout the rest of the season I think the ceiling is very high considering what Virginia Tech has in the secondary yeah and we have to remember the what 2021 game against North Carolina Virginia Tech had six sacks that year, or excuse me, in that game, I believe Amari Barno had three. Barno was sick. Yeah, Barno was and sick. And then they all went into witness protection yeah. for the remainder of the season. Um, so I want to give a shout-out to a uh, former battery mate of mine, uh, Chris Coleman, who had a really good tweet um, today, or excuse me, yesterday, Um ODU targeted Mansoor Delane and Dorian Strong eight times for one completion for six yards. Dorian Strong returned his interception for 32 yards, which means that the Hokie defense outgained the ODU defense when the Monarchs targeted Virginia Tech's corners in Delane and Strong. So, again, it's Old Dominion. Preface that now. But... Virginia Tech's starting corners should be pretty good this year. Seatbelt, baby. Yes. That's going to be critical, I think. It's going to be critical. Especially if they're going to have issues defending the run, which 
you know, may persist for the remainder of the year. But if they're able to lock up guys on the outside, and I'm looking at you, Florida State, all of a sudden it makes a game like that maybe slightly competitive, whereas on paper one may think that that's not a competitive game. But if you've got guys on the outside that can really compete and keep things close, then who knows? We're, we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves because it's one game. But the Florida State piece, because I think that's a really good example, like they have really, they have two outstanding players at wide receiver. He, Keon Coleman went, I mean, we just watched the LSU game last night. Keon Coleman, the transfer from Michigan State, went nuts. I mean, he's going to be probably a top 15 pick in the draft. He was ridiculous, right? Yeah. They have two really good receivers. Obviously, Jordan Travis is a really good player. But I think it was clear LSU's weakness on defense is in their secondary. I think that was obviously exposed last night in the opener. That's more of an area where I think Virginia Tech can compete with Florida State is if Strong and Delane kind of continue on the path that they've been on throughout their careers, especially, you know, Strong when he's been healthy and what Delane did last week, uh, last year, and obviously what he did in this opener. Those are the types of games where if you're a rebuilding program, and we were talking about this on the preview, like just be competitive for a while against a team like Florida State. That's probably yeah. a pretty encouraging sign for the future, right? And from a matchup standpoint, with their wide receivers against your defensive backs, if you know you continue playing the way that you are, like you feel a little bit better about Tech's ability to compete for a little while in that game, right? Obviously, Florida State's got the athletes, and Virginia Tech does not. So over four quarters, you're not feeling great about it still. But can you keep it competitive for a bit? I think that's a really good point. So I do think that the ceiling of the defense coming out of this game for me, my thought was ceiling is pretty high if the pass rush is replicable week over week. If not, then we'll see how Tech holds up against the run. You know, we'll see, of course, how, how the health is in the secondary, all that stuff. But overall was encouraged by what I saw out of the pass rush and what I saw out of the secondary. The run fit stuff, not great, right? Not great. <laughs> yeah. Brent, Brent Pry said on the, on the sideline um, coming off the field after the game ended, you know, they asked him about the turn. It was Taylor Tannenbaum from ACC Network. She asked Brent Pry, like, how do you feel about the turnovers? He said it made him feel a lot better about how things turned out in the running game because he said they have a lot of stuff to fix. So, I mean, Pry's the defensive guy. You knew that that wasn't going to go past him. Uh, he's, yeah, I think... <laughs> He'll make sure he's a little bit more involved, I think, at the defensive meetings this week leading up to Purdue. He's going to let Chris Marv do his job, but I, I think Pry's going to make sure that gets fixed as a as a defensive coach. Speaking of turnovers, Virginia Tech wins the turnover margin by three in this game. It's mm -hmm. no turnovers. And on another related note, Virginia Tech only commits four penalties in this game. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty marked improvement, especially on the penalty side. From a team that looked very undisciplined a year ago um, in a very amped up environment, uh, even though they were a little sloppy with some of their execution early on and they had a couple drops, the only four penalties and the no turnovers is a huge, huge plus. And as we saw with Clemson tonight, uh, not turning or turning the ball over is a quick way to lose to teams that you shouldn't lose to. Yeah. And Clemson had their fair share of really bad penalties in that game too. <laughs> so at least from, I was spending a lot of time tonight trying to get my kid to bed. So based on what I saw in the second half, a lot of dumb penalties also, uh, Virginia Tech did not have a lot of procedural penalties in this game. That made me feel pretty good. It warmed my heart to not see stupid delay games out of timeouts, not to see a million false start penalties. That made me it feel pretty nice good. It was nice to see ODU pick up two false starts in the, what, the first quarter? First quarter and a half? Yeah, um, they had one on the first, first drive. drive. First yeah. drive. It was loud. Yeah. And uh, The ACC Network production, by the way, like you don't always get an appreciation watching on TV how loud Lane Stadium is. 
but I thought ACC Network's production on Saturday night was better than it's been in a while in terms of you could really hear the crowd noise on TV. It was loud in there on Saturday night. So shout out to all the fans in attendance. Yeah, I I put a tweet out because I I do criticize ESPN a lot because they are pretty garbage in a lot of areas. It's all justified, by the way. Yes, uh, but you have to give credit when credit is due. And one thing that ESPN rarely jacks up is the Enter Sandman production and entrance. And for the ACC Network, that's like a critical part of the entire uh, program and show and production because you're trying to show off these ACC schools. And the first thing that everyone thinks of with Virginia Tech is Enter Sandman. So if you're going to do it, you better do it right. And it better look really good. And I thought it looked really good on the TV watching from home. So shout out to ESPN and the ACC Network for putting together a pretty good broadcast. Um, that crew is always entertaining. West Durham is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Hasselbeck yeah. was really, really good on Saturday night, too, I thought, breaking yeah. the game down. And, you yeah, know, yeah, where I, Wells went right, where he went wrong, like – I, I love the uh, I love the Westipedia segment. I thought that was hilarious. Yep. Um, I, I I am I'm totally fine with more primetime ACC network kickoffs if it means we get a production like we got uh, on Saturday. And we can't say that all the time. So was really happy with that. Yes, and no Spurtle commercials. No, no, no. tax shavers. I didn't see any junk like that. I did see Deion Sanders and Nick Saban and Aflac about 74 times. And maybe that'll bother me by week three, but I was okay in week one. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of the same commercials over and over down <laughs> ACC Network. That's just a year over year thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, a couple other things here. The punt return team. So I want to just put this out there. There are only three punts that Virginia Tech fielded in this game. Jalen Lane is the starting punt returner, which I'm fine with because he's very fast. He's electric. He's a good player in space. But I don't love my number two receiver uh, fielding punts for a long period of time when there is an absolute wagon, like an all ACC caliber punt returner who is just not getting a lot of reps at receiver. Yeah, that happened to have a 66 yard punt return this game when, you know, the game was well in hand. Tucker Holloway, every time the ball is in his hands on a punt or a kick return, you think he's going to house it. And since he's not like one of the top four or five receivers in the rotation, I think he should own that punt returner role this year. That's my opinion on Ricky. I think he should own that role. I think he should be the kick returner, too. Uh, Yes, me too. Agreed. I mean, get Get him the ball in those situations as much as you can. And I think you're right on the Jalen Lane point. Jalen Lane's an excellent athlete, but he it, it's not necessary to put him out there when you have someone like Tucker Holloway, who, as you mentioned, is sitting on the sideline a lot um, and, and really not doing much. Um, overall, the punt situation seemed fine. I thought Peter Moore was fine. Um, he had two, pl- two punts over 50 yards, two touchbacks. Um, the kicking situation seemed fine. John Love didn't really get much of anything that was challenging in this game, but longest kick um, was 27 yards. Yeah. So. We'll have to see if, it, if that comes up, um, down the season, obviously it will. Um, let me ask you this. Does the game on Saturday against Old Dominion make you feel better or indifferent? It's obviously not going to make you feel worse. Uh, better or indifferent about Virginia Tech's chances of beating Purdue this weekend? Kind of indifferent because I think what makes me feel better about Virginia Tech beating Purdue this weekend is what I saw out of Purdue against Fresno State. <laughs> Fair enough. The, the truth that that's the truthful answer. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to have a, a, a preview pod later in the week, but yeah, I was yeah. just curious as to how much, how much this game changed your, I guess your the, um, changed the paradigm that we're that that we that we think of Virginia Tech in, 
well, I'll say like I'm encouraged by the 36 points and the fact that I thought the offense left some out there. I'm I'm very encouraged by that. I wasn't sure coming into this Old Dominion game that Virginia Tech was going to score 30, 35, 36 points. Uh, I did say I Virginia, they were. I did say Virginia Tech would cover, but I thought they'd hold Old Dominion down a little bit more offensively. Yeah. Not that 17 points is bad, and Virginia Tech forced some turnovers, but we, you know, the running game issues a lot of opportunities to get off the field and they just didn't. So old dominion had a bit more success in the running game that I would have liked, but uh, I'm encouraged by the offense. I am. And there's still some questions out there that, you know, we'll see how the thing looks week to week, but scoring 36 in the opener is a good sign. Just considering what we saw last year going into the Purdue game, obviously feel a little bit better heading into it because of what I just saw out of the offense. And the question is, you know, can you do it again? Right. And Purdue's defense can absolutely be had. And Ryan Walters is a, you know, he was a good defensive coordinator at Illinois, but it took a little bit of time before it got rolling, you know, for him under Brett Bielema, his first three or four games a couple of years back were pretty rough. And then Illinois was basically a wagon for the final year and a half of of his tenure as defensive coordinator. So I think we're getting Purdue at a very good time. You know, the defense is not going to be a finished product. We saw that against Fresno state. They have some issues in the secondary that I think can be exploited with Virginia Tech's playmakers at receiver. This game has opened as basically a pick them. It's anywhere between Purdue is a one point favorite or Virginia tech is a one point favorite. So it's a coin flip game. I think that, you know, some key, I'm I'm just going to put this out there because I'm not going to be on the preview pod later this week because I have a bachelor party I'm going to and um, you guys are handling, you and Andrew are handling the preview. So I just want to just, if you don't mind, Ricky, just I'm going to give my thoughts on Purdue a little bit real quick. How about it? So I think, I think a couple things I'm going to be watching for in this game for Virginia Tech. Number one, how does Grant Wells look in the first quarter? Because this is a Big Ten defense. <laughs> They got better athletes than Old Dominion has. I think if Wells gets off to a slow start again, Purdue is a type of defense, while not very good, I think you know the athletes on that side of the ball will make him pay if he's missing high over the middle again with the frequency that he was. How amped up is he? Obviously, how does the running game look? Because I think Virginia Tech's going to have to have a little bit more balance offensively in this game, even though Purdue's got a weakness. You know, in the secondary, I think Tech's going to want to have some more balance in this football game. Defensively, obviously, getting after the passer because Hudson Card had a pretty decent day against Fresno State. And I don't think Hudson Card is like this outstanding quarterback, but I do think he'll kill you if you give him all day to throw. So those are kind of the elements that you're looking for in this game. Obviously, you know, I could just go with a low-hanging fruit. Okay, win the turnover battle. Uh, You know, don't commit a bunch of penalties. Like, yeah, do all that, too. But, like, if Tucker Holloway can steal a score on a punt return or the defense can set up Virginia Tech with a short field, like, all that stuff, I think, is going to matter in a game that's really going to be a coin flip. You want to make a bowl game, Ricky? You got to win this game. You got to win this game. We talked about this on the season preview. If Virginia Tech goes 2-2 two and two in the month of September, they're going to have an excellent chance to get to six. They're going to have an even better chance to get to six if you finish three and one. I think Virginia Tech has a great chance to finish September three and one if they win this game on Saturday against Purdue at home. Because this is one of those games where you're not feeling particularly great about it, like on paper going into the year. But now after you see kind of the way Purdue looked in week one and how the offense looked for Virginia Tech in week one, feel a little bit better about it at home. It's a nooner. It's a weird game. Like Purdue's got a first year head coach, all that stuff. But you win this game and you're two and zero. You go into that weird like roads back to back road games against Rutgers and Marshall before starting ACC play, and you already have two wins in your pocket. Feeling pretty good about things, Ricky. So, this is a big game on Saturday. This is this is the biggest game for Brent Pry so far because, and I'm talking like in two seasons, because this is the game where it really starts to show you where you're heading in this rebuild. Yeah. Everybody can talk about Florida State later in the year and how you measure up against a college football playoff contender because, let's face it, that's what Florida State looks like after how they played, especially in the second half last night. 
yeah. look like a team that that definitely is going to be one of the best teams in the country this year if, if they play like they did in the second half. We could talk about that game being a measuring stick game, but the real measuring stick game for me is beating a team like Purdue, year one head coach. They are a Big Ten team. Like, it's a non-conference team coming to Blacksburg. You're at home. These are the type of 50-50 games you really, really want to win. Types of games where it truly is a coin flip, where you don't really know if you're the better team or not going into it. But, you know, you know, coming out of it, if you win that game, you feel really good about yourself, you know, heading throughout the rest of the non-conference schedule. This is a really important game for Brent Fry and his staff this Saturday. So I'm just interested to see how it goes. I think Tech definitely has a great chance to win. The spread is not a pick for no reason. Like, the Hokies could absolutely win this football game on Saturday. I feel a lot better about it based on what I saw out of Purdue in week one. And, of course, just having a win under your belt, winning by three scores and feeling like you left some out there. You know, I, I do feel better about the state of things going into week two, certainly than I did last year, Ricky, <laughs> after that lost Old Dominion. <laughs> in the first week of the year. So my overall takeaway is this is a pretty big game for Brent Pry on Saturday. It's not make or break to the Hokie season in terms of making a bowl game, but I think if you do steal this one, I think you put yourself in a, in a pretty good spot to go through the rest of the schedule, especially when you see kind of how some of these teams opened this weekend. Ricky, like Boston College, your boy Jeff Halfley might be in trouble up there in Chestnut Hill. Uh, yeah. Yeah, UVA. UVA showed a little bit of fight defensively against Tennessee, but that offense is some ass. So they're going to have some trouble this year. Like there are some winnable, there's some winnable games on the schedule. So if you get past Purdue, you can really set yourself up to try to get to six. So it's a big game for a lot of reasons. That's uh, that's one way to describe UVA. Yeah. I was, I was looking at the, trying to find the most updated spread and I'm sure it'll change. Uh, Caesars has it at, Tech minus three Ooh. at uh, right now. Uh, more importantly, though, I found that on the Bet Decider website. I don't know if you've heard of it before since you're a gambling degenerate, but I thought you might get a kick out of this. Uh, this site has Virginia Tech's key players as Grant Wells, Keyshawn King, Jalen Holston, Nick Gallo, Dwayne Lofton, Taiwan Garbett, and Dax Hollifield. Mm-hmm. It also has uh, Purdue's top playmaker, or excuse me, top player as Aiden O'Connell. Very inaccurate. <laughs> I just thought that, thought that was funny. Very um, inaccurate. Yeah, so unfortunately, Mike will not be joining us for the preview podcast coming later this week. Uh, that'll be just Andrew and myself. Uh, I am looking forward to Purdue. I am planning on being at this game. Okay. Uh, first game of the year. Uh, certainly not going to be the last. Um, looking forward to being there in Lane Stadium. Would have loved to have been there for the ODU game. Um, but I think there's going to be a good crowd for the for the Purdue game. I would hope that it would get close to a sellout, maybe not a sellout considering it's a noon kick. Um, but students, get up earlier, get your drinking in ahead of time, and then show effect. Orange effect, show up in your orange. Don't be oh God, that, that guy. Getting, that means we're getting some orange on the oh. Let let's talk about the most important part no, of this game. No, no, please, God, the most, no. The most important part of this game. Dear God. Stop wearing white helmets at home. You're gonna see him on Saturday, baby. Stop. You're going to see them Saturday. Tech has I'm, two helmets. They got maroon. I'm so over it. They got two helmets, Ricky. They got maroon and this, they got white. And I know that the white helmet is, goes a hell of a lot better with the orange jerseys than that maroon one does. You're going to see the white not, helmets in person, in the flesh. You're going to see the white helmets on Saturday. This is not Penn State. We don't wear white helmets anymore, okay? This isn't the 70s. There's only one white helmet I approve of. Well, I, I don't I don't have this like disdain for the white helmet like you do, but the one white helmet I really wish they wore more of. And they just never wear this anymore. That retro VT. I love that logo. Okay, if, it's sick. I have it on if, a maroon hat. It's sick. If Virginia Tech were to wear a white helmet with that logo, I could get, I could potentially get behind that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Otherwise, wear the damn maroon helmet. It looks better. 
it just is better. I, I, I can't. I, I'm sorry. It is what it is. I don't make the rules. I am. I, it, I, look, I'm a noted fashion designer, a noted expert when it comes to uniforms. Get rid of the white helmets at home. Let's bring back the maroon helmets, please. Thank you. I'm okay with the maroon helmets. I don't know how I'm going to feel about maroon helmets with the orange jerseys, though, so I'm okay with seeing white helmets on Saturday. Because I think you're going to see your orange shirt. I mean, it's the orange effect game. I think Texas will come out in orange. And I think the maroon helmet with orange, can't can't see it. Rock the orange jerseys with the retro white helmets. Or they could do what they did uh, in the Logan Thomas era and give us the maroon helmet with the orange jersey and orange pants. I, I'm here I, for that. I'm here for it. I thought you were going to bring up the old school gobbler on the no, on no, the helmet no, that Logan no, Thomas wore. I hated nope, that. Nope, we don't need to see that. There are a lot of uniforms from the Logan Thomas era that we don't need to see ever again. Foghorn Leghorn can stay out, and uh, the that abomination in what 2011 against Bama was there in the, in the opener. I was Duke, there. Those uniforms need to be burned. Um, and, that and was never... the uh, that was the 2012 opener, Ricky. The reason why I know that Thank is because I was uh, beginning my sophomore year, so I just have a real good recollection of that. Yes, yeah, not a fan of those either. Yeah, and the game sucked too. It, did. Um, they, it gave me hope. The Trey Edmonds return gave me hope for like a second. I not hope that they'd win, but I was feeling pretty good about things when Edmonds ran the kick back like 98 yards or whatever it was. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And then AJ McCarron did AJ McCarron things. Yeah. All right. Um, Main Street Pharmacy, again, if you're in Blacksburg, go see our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate everyone that's been listening. Uh, we had an excellent lead up to the season. We're looking forward to another year of strong, strong analysis, expert analysis. Uh, maybe not so much for me, but from at least Mike. Uh, rate, review, subscribe again. Go follow Mike on Twitter at Mike McDaniel SI. Go follow myself at Rig of the Blue. Andrew Alex at Andrew Alex Radio. Mike, you got anything else? Would you rather? I forgot this earlier, so I just want to sneak this in at the end before we wrap up. Would you rather have? Uh, would you rather try to replace Tucker Holloway in the wide receiver lineup? Or Jalen Lane in the wide receiver lineup. Jalen Lane, right? Just kidding. You'd rather replace Tucker Holloway, right? Yeah. So when it comes me, to you had me shook there for a minute. So when it comes to punt, so when it comes to punt returns, would you rather replace Jalen Lane on punt return or Tucker Holloway? You'd rather replace Jalen Lane because you know you have him at receiver. Tucker Holloway playing wide receiver would be a tough look, right? Not not that Holloway is going to be a bad player at receiver. Just well, hopefully he'll be fine there in a year or two. Exactly. We're going to need it. But you'd much rather see Lane at receiver healthy than Lane returning punts, getting himself hurt, and then you're trying to figure out who your number two receiver is going to be. Right? If yeah. Lane gets if Lane gets hurt on punt return, Virginia Tech will be fine at punt return because Tucker Holloway's there. Same can't be said at wide receiver. So just stick Tucker Holloway on returns, please. He's he's electric. He is an elite athlete on the in the return game. I mean, there's but, an argument he's better than Lane straight up, which I think he is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Just, no. Right. Just agree. Just agree. Agree. Just start him. Nothing against Jalen Lane. He's going to be outstanding at receiver this year. But let's let's focus all of our eggs in that basket, right? And let's just have Tucker Holloway, who's not in the receiver rotation. Let's have him return punts. And let's have him return kicks too, because I don't love the idea of my two starting running backs returning kicks along with Jalen Lane. I don't agree. Bashel Toot and Malachi Thomas are two of the primary kick returners along with Jalen Lane. Can we just keep our starting offense out of the return game when we got a competent, ret- not even a competent returner, an all ACC returner back there? Like, let's just play Tucker Holloway, please, in the return game. Make Coach this easy. McDaniel on me. has spoken. I think it's, that's going to wrap. I think, go, nope, go ahead. It's go reasonable. Ahead. It's, it's, it's just reasonable. It's a reasonable take. I yeah. wanted to see my starting offense get hurt in the return game for love of God. Fair enough. Fair okay. enough. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us again. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, uh, we'll see you later this week. 
for our preview of the Purdue Boilermakers, Andrew Alex's return. Until then, go Hookies. 